Hello, film lovers. We are back. Sit down, relax, pop in your headphones, and whap out your cinematic snacks. It's 2020, and it's time for another episode of the Films I Love Most podcast. podcast. and welcome back to the Films I Love Most podcast, episode 18. It's been such a long time since we've been here together. It's been an absolutely crazy month. I do apologise for the late arrival of this podcast, but with the BAFTAs and Secret Cinema and everything that's been going on, there just hasn't been time in our busy, busy lives. But we are here now and that's all that matters, really. So, yes, welcome back. It is February 2020. How fast is this month going? It's nearly Valentine's Day. We're going to have a Valentine's Day special coming up next week, which is going to be all about love. (sighs) Yeah, anyway, that should be fun. Maybe I'll just do the whole podcast about horror movies and make it an anti-Valentine podcast. That'd be interesting. Maybe we should split it into two halves. I'll have a word and see um, with the dungeon master and see what he thinks but yes welcome back to the dungeon um nothing much has really been going on apart from the baftas and secret cinema like i mentioned and also i've gone sugar free yeah i know terrible but i've lost a lot of weight doing it my word it's falling off me but no more sugar so here in the dungeon we are no longer eating bourbons we are eating a lot of cheese (laughs) as we are allowed to so You know, not all bad. And of course, I'm now drinking green tea instead of, you know, the caffeine-filled beverage that I usually have here in the dungeon. But enough about me. We've got a very busy podcast coming up and uh, lots of reviews. We've got the return of one of our lovely correspondents, Hannah. Bless her. We went to the cinema, the Prince Charles, and watched Uncut Gems together. And you will get our raw reaction of that when it comes to reviews. I'll also be reviewing Bombshell and The Grudge and some others too. So yeah, definitely stay tuned and welcome back to the Films I Love Most podcast. Movie news, movie news. It's pretty much been dominated by the award season which is you know interesting and there's a lot of thoughts about what's going to win best picture at the Oscars now if you go back and listen to our Oscar nomination predictions we're going to do a Oscars special next week and we're going to see how many I got right (laughs) I'm not like I'm a little bit 
pessimistic about this. I don't think I've got many. I've been thinking about it more and more. And obviously with the results of the BAFTAs coming out, there are some things that I think I may have not got exactly right. But never mind. That's the whole name of the game. So fingers crossed. So next week, yes, we'll have our Oscar special. So please do tune in to the Oscar special because that is going to be incredible. And obviously, movie news this week, we can't go by without saying that Kirk Douglas has passed away, sadly, at 103 years old. That's amazing. Father of, of course, Michael Douglas, very famous actor. And we will be paying tribute to Kirk Douglas in Film Found for a Pound. And you'll find out why. I won't give it all away now. Thora Birch is hoping to return for Hocus Pocus 2. So there is going to be a Hocus Pocus 2. How exciting is that? Bette Midler is back, apparently. And um, Jessica, Sex in the City, she's also going to be back. And how exciting. I mean, Hocus Pocus is one of my favourite films as a kid. So I'm really looking forward to it. Obviously, this is the the time for reboots and sequels and reimagining. So I'm not surprised that they've taken this film and giving it a sequel. But hopefully it will be half decent. Um, I just want to pay a very special tribute here to the presenter, Philip Schofield, who came out as gay this week. And I think that that is an absolute fantastic move forward for the gay community it's great that he has felt comfortable enough to do that and congratulations and what an amazing thing for him to do it has been a very difficult road for him and I can imagine that this will allow a lot more personnel from the entertainment industry to feel comfortable to come out and hopefully, fingers crossed, that that happens because that would be a great thing because we need more uh, gay and LGBT role models in the entertainment industry. So, yes, thank you. That's my bit of pop culture for today. And, um, oh, there's so much happening. So, oh, my word. What's the big news of the day? The big news of the day is that Friends is coming back. The Friends reunion is a go at HBO Max. The reunion will also serve to kickstart the HBO Max platform. So there is going to be a Friends reunion after years and years and years of them saying, no, it is happening. The big film release of the week is Birds of Prey. Haven't seen it yet. I will be reviewing it on next week's podcast. That's very exciting. I'm actually looking forward to it. The trailer looks half decent. Ewan McGregor's in it. So hopefully, fingers crossed, it could be a cracker. But then again, after Suicide Squad, I am just, you know, preparing myself for, you know, <laughs> to be let down. But never mind. Hopefully, fingers crossed, that won't happen. Spiral. Spiral is the new installment of Saw. Yep, as in Saw, the horror movies. And Spiral is the next chapter starring Chris Rock, who has written the script for this film. I'm not making it up. This is a true story. And also is starring Samuel Jackson. 
yep, you're not in a parallel universe. This is a real true story. And the trailer is now available to watch on YouTube. Get over to YouTube if you're a Saw fan and check that out. It's interesting. Also, there's new trailers and posters for things like Fast and Furious 9. If you're a Fast and Furious fan, get over there and watch that trailer. And also um, Radioactive, uh, Rosalind Pike as Marie Curie. And that's got a beautiful trailer and the film looks really, really interesting. So please go and check that out. And let me know what you think on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And that is movie news for this week. If you've got anything that you think I should be talking about, then please do get in touch on social media. And you can also email me at filmilovemostpodcast at yahoo.com. Hello, it's movie reviews now. And first up is Bombshell, which was released last week. It's doing very well at the cinema, I think. And I mean, people are obviously curious about the story. It's quite a big story when it hit in the States and was quite a big story here, too. And was the first movement, I think, towards the Me Too campaign, which is fantastic. And the story is that a group of women take on Fox News head Roger Ailes and the toxic atmosphere he presided over at the network. And it's got a fantastic cast. I mean, this is an amazing cast. So Cherise Theron, Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie, John Lithgow, Alison Janney, who's just like one of my favourites. It's also got a little brief appearance from Malcolm McDowell. And the list goes on and on. And Rob Delaney's in it. He's very funny, very cute. He's just very cute anyway, but he's amazing. And it's just a really good, sol- solid sort of drama documentary about those events. And... It has a very powerful message to it. And I think that it's an important piece of filmmaking to go back to such, you know, history that is only a few years ago, if you think about it, because it was during the presidential campaign when Trump was first running. And some of the things that, you know, were being said had a direct impact on his presidential campaign, whether negatively or positively. Um, remains to be seen. Well, obviously, you know, for a second term anyway, let's not even talk about that. Oh, how depressing. Um, But it creates the atmosphere and the claustrophobic feeling that these women must have felt working in an office where they had no one to confide in. The big boss basically dominated their professional lives without him. You know, they wouldn't have a career. With one snap of his fingers, they'll be gone. And he is an horrendous man, Robert Ailes. I mean, it's it's there in black and white. He was a sex pest and treated women absolutely horrendously. And there's one scene in the film with when he's alone with Margot Robbie, which is horrible to watch, very uncomfortable, and played perfectly by John Lithgow and Margot Robbie very skillfully played to make the audience feel uncomfortable but also to keep you know some air of professionality about it is is a huge undertaking (coughs) excuse me and um what i really liked about the film is the pace 
it moves along very quickly. Um, and Nicole Kidman's character, even though she's not in the film as much as I thought she was going to be, really is the catalyst for all the events that happen. And she plays that role so well. She's such an amazing actress. She seems to be in everything at the moment. She seems to be everywhere, which good on her, you know, budding working actress. Not budding actress. She's been around for a long time. But, um, you know, working actress, she's good. And this film is really, really, really good. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Strong performances, great storyline, great message. It really comes across and the conclusion of it is satisfactory as well. So I'm going to give Bombshell a very solid uh, 8 out of 10. You have to adopt the mentality of an Irish street cop. The world is a bad place. People are lazy morons. Minorities are criminals. Sex is sick but interesting. Ask yourself what would scare my grandmother or piss off my grandfather. And that's a Fox story. Oh, it makes so much sense. Women are everywhere. We're letting them play golf and tennis now. HR's on the phone because you called me a skirt. Yeah, it's, yeah. I got to read that manual again. <laughs> the attitude off camera was even worse. You're a man hater. Learn to get along with the boys. You're sexy, but you're too much work. I have a whole list. Will other women come forward? You may have heard there was a dust-up involving yours truly and presidential contender Donald Trump. There was blood coming out of her eyes, blood coming out of her, wherever. Oh my God, did he just accuse me of anger menstruating? Wait, am I going to be the story? No. No. I'm going to be the story. No. Nobody stops watching because of a conflict. They stop watching when there isn't one. I want to convince you that I belong on air, Mr. Ailes. I think I'd be freaking phenomenal on your network. I could pluck you out and move you to the front of the line. But I need to know that you're loyal. I need you to find a way to prove it. I'm the bad guy. You know why Roger's got that door blocking his office. Someone has to speak up. Someone has to get mad. Fox News star Gretchen Carlson dropped a major bombshell today. What is she doing? This could kill Fox News. We need everyone on Team Roger. Get it on. Put it on. These are the end times. You do understand I have to be above this, right? You know the entire country is talking about your period right now. So you're a tough guy like you really were. Sweetheart, this is an island of safety and truth. There's a man! Ready to go to war? Oh, yeah. Another movie that was out last week that I absolutely adored was A Personal History of David Copperfield. Now, I am a huge huge fan of the entire cast of this film like everybody in this film I love so therefore when I went to it I had very high expectations but this film exceeded them which is so rare for me and um Armando I can never pronounce his name Ian Sini I can never pronounce his surname we'll just call him Armando um creator of The Thick of It and also Veep 
and one of my favourite films of all time, In the Loop. He directed that, which is almost sort of a spin-off of The Thick of It. And The Death of Stalin as well, also, which was out a few years ago, or a couple of years ago. So, David Copperfield is based on the Charles Dickens novel. It is pretty much very faithful to the book. And the characters in it are so perfectly realised. I mean, let me just give you some of the cast here. You've got Dev Patel playing David Copperfield. You've got Hugh Laurie, Tilda Swindon, Peter Capaldi. Oh my goodness, the list just goes on. It really is an amazing... Gwendolyn Christie, who plays a nasty, nasty woman, which is good to see her playing a villain that you can actually see, not like when she's in the Star Wars films. But this film was so witty and clever and the script is so beautiful and flows so well that I it was absolutely a joy to watch it's beautiful to look at the um it's shot in such a way that is almost like the BBC have got a huge budget and they're making a you know one of them amazing Charles Dickens adaptations and it's almost like that but the difference is that there's a massive injection of comedy and sort of melancholic mirandering's going on in this film and it's just fantastic i absolutely adored it every second there wasn't a single time when i sort of dipped in concentration i was there living the story and like i said the performances were amazing and it's such a british film as well so British, you know, like you're looking at it and even the smallest roles are played by people that you would recognise. For example, like Paul Whitehouse, Ben Whishaw's in it, Benedict Wong, who's obviously very famous for other things now in the Marvel Universe, but he pops up in this film. And, you know, everyone in there, you can just see that they're all having a really, really good time. And that's fantastic. And that's what I really got from that film. You could see that all the actors together were loving what they were doing. And that was shining through the screen and into my brain. And it was incredible. The personal history of David Copperfield is out now. And I'm going to give it 10 out of 10. Yes, I know. It's just so good. And I could watch it again and again and again. And I probably will. So that's 10 out of 10 for the personal history of David Copperfield out now. Whether I turn out to be the hero of my own story, or whether that station will be held by anybody else, these moments must show. Are you David Copperfield? I am indeed. What lies before you is a fight with the world, and the sooner you begin it, the better! What's happening? Bailiffs. The dentist prisoner waits. It's not your chicken. You're stealing an honest man's chicken. You're my aunt. And you're the only family I have. What do we do with him? If I were you, I'd wash him. Oh, donkeys. This is a donkey freezer. You're a remarkable woman. Very kind. A vow. I should demand it at our every meeting as if I'm an empress. Or mad. This boy is terrific. Jip likes you, don't you, Jip? Yes, I do. <laughs> Jip never lies. I'm ruined. Can you cast any more lights from what has happened? Yes, I can. The day before yesterday, she said, Mr. Dick, I'm ruined. 
And I said, oh, indeed, and then we traveled here. That's not a lot of light. You had nothing, then you had something. Now you got nothing again. So stands to write you'll have something again. Well, you Copperfield were pure scum before anyone had charity on you. And you, Mrs. T, you're a grim old prospect. It thrills me to the stomach. <laughs> Here's St. Paul's. Don't worry. You'll make it through. And you'll have quite the ride on the way. I forgive you, Mr. Copperfield. It is not for you to forgive anyone, Mr. Heap. Isn't that right, Jip? Yes, it is. What's she doing here? When I was just leaving high school, I think was the time when the original grudge hit the UK, as in the Japanese version. And then the remake appeared from the America with Sarah Michelle Gellar, which was, you know, brilliant. I absolutely really love that film, even though a lot of horror fans think it's trash. I really, really like it. So I was really surprised when they announced that they were doing a grudge reboot or remake so to speak um the thing that really shocked me about it was that no one's really spoken about this franchise for so long and it's almost been forgotten and therefore there's not much interest in it so i was very confused and you know the grudge is about a house that is cursed by a vengeful ghost that dooms whoever enters it to a violent death and it works. I mean, I don't actually really enjoy the original Grudge, the Japanese version. I really like the Sarah Michelle Keller version, uh, directed by Sam Raimi, who directed The Evil Dead. Um, I just, I don't know why, I just really like that film. There's something about it that really scares me and gets to me. And it's very true to the original as well, but just done so much better. This version of The Grudge is so odd it's so bizarre it jumps all over the place in time zones so you really have to concentrate on what's going on but at the same time you're concentrating on something which is actually very very boring i mean there's long spells of the film where nothing really happens and it's more of a jump scare movie which the grudge was never it was all about atmosphere and there's not much atmosphere in this film although saying that it's better than I thought it was going to be having read the reviews gone in. Their atmosphere is more or less created by the cinematography. It's quite dark, quite grim. You know, there's a sense of dread like through the film, but it's not what you'd expect from a grudge movie. And there's too many jump scares. I don't understand why horror directors think that a jump scare is, you know... In today's horror sort of community, jump scares are pretty much like mime to the acting community. They're the lowest form of the art. You know, 
for me, it's all about story and atmosphere and how you can draw an audience in. Things like Hereditary, Midsummer, Us, as in the movie Us, The Witch. They don't rely on jump scares whatsoever. They rely on the atmosphere created and for you really caring about the characters. I cared about no one in The Grudge. Like, I was like, when are they going to die? Because, you know, it's only been 20 minutes into the film and I'm bored already. Saying that, it is not as bad as everybody says. It is sort of, you know, it's an okay movie, but it's just not a grudge movie. If it was this was released as like a low budget film, didn't have the grudge title, I, I could probably, you know, pick it up on DVD maybe. But unfortunately for me, this is a massive stain on the grudge franchise. And I think that they've realised that with the bad reviews and the low takings. So I think this could possibly be the last grudge movie that we ever see. And thank God, because we didn't even need this film. But yeah, unfortunately for me, I'm going to give it 5 out of 10. Because even though it's not as bad as I think that some critics have said it is, it's not brilliant. Sorry, grudge. Hello? Hello? Police department. This is Matheson. I'm Detective Muldoon. I'm gonna talk to you about a woman we found. You feed me. Excuse me? William Bennett, he always used to feed me. <laughs> William was your husband? Yeah. Em, are you alone in the house right now? Are you alone?
Like I said before, we have our special correspondent, Hannah, who will be reviewing Uncut Gems with me on this episode. So let's go over to past Keith and past Hannah as they review Uncut Gems. Hello and welcome to the Films I Love Most podcast, live from Mexico. Hello. (laughs) I'm with Hannah. Hannah's back. Hello, hello. Where have you been? I've been around. You've seen me. Yeah, I have seen you. We had a very interesting night um, on New Year's Eve. We did. At the Wolf of Wall Street immersive experience. Which we both enjoyed. Yeah. I said, I I have told our listeners that we were there, but I haven't told them the stories. The full details. The full details. I don't want to go to jail. I don't know. Do you want to go into it now? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we have just come out of the Prince Charles Cinema after watching the film... Uncut Gems With Adam Sandler What do you think? <laughs> I loved it And I've been waiting to talk about it for about 10 minutes And I, I loved it I know, we, we are just having um, dinner And um, in a salsa club And we thought, you know, this would be a great place to record our review So um, Adam Sandler stars in Uncut Gems Um, It was shown at the London Film Festival as the surprise film and there was a lot of mixed reviews. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. A lot of mixed reviews. Did you hear any reviews that came from the film festival? No, I haven't read any of the reviews. All I heard was that a lot of people left early from the surprise screening because they weren't happy to discover which film it was. Okay, now you've seen the film, what did you think about their decision? Oh, they, they missed out on something, it was amazing. The whole film is such a thrill ride, and it really, like, kicks up a notch every single, like, you think it can't go any more stressful, and it gets more and more stressful, you get more and more deeper into it. And yeah, I feel really pumped after watching it. So, can I just say a couple of things that are very unprofessional? And very childish. Firstly, I thought it was probably the best episode of Faulty Towers I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) And secondly, didn't Adam Sandler sound a bit like, um, what was it? Um, Oh, what's the parrot from Aladdin? I don't know. (laughs) He really sounded like the parrot from Aladdin uh, most of the time, which was really, really, I found it quite funny. But anyway, that's my immaturity shining through. But um, yeah, very interesting film. I thought, like you said, it was an absolute, um, it was relentless. There were some scenes that were designed to make you feel so, like, so full of tension, but then there was no payoff to those scenes. What did you think about that? I think they did a good job of not doing the predictable thing. There were times where you thought, oh, it's going to keep going on and on and on, and it, it didn't, and they brought it back in other ways. Like, for example, basically Adam Sandler's character is constantly chasing after certain goals, and then it's like, oh, almost within his grasp, and it's taken away from him. But then at other points, it's sort of, I don't know, I feel like it wasn't the most predictable way of bringing the thrills. Sure, yeah. yeah. And also, there was... Um it was a very interesting character study of him with his, obviously his marriage has fallen apart, he's got a mistress and he's running a business that seems like a quite successful business yeah. but obviously he's also a gambler so a lot of the money that comes from the business is probably being put into um, the pockets of casinos and betting shops yeah. um, what did you think about that aspect of the story about um, the, his character in particular, what did you think about it? Well, first of all, Adam Sandler was such a perfect choice for that role. I don't know if they wrote it with him in mind, 
but I can't imagine anyone else playing it because it sort of plays so well into his own kind of persona I would say like his comedy persona and I I liked the seeing the other side of him because it's like you saw that he's a family man he is caring but at the same time he can't help himself like you just get the sense that he just can't help it he has to gamble yeah he's definitely a middle child <laughs> do you know what I mean like he's got that thing where he's just like he he doesn't have that filter to stop himself from doing stupid things and that's pretty much the film is him getting into the next scrape making the next wrong decision but obviously the consequences were only fall on him but because he's got such an interesting character and so likable you really care about him you're definitely rooting for him and like even in the face of danger and like threat of physical violence he still will go for the next like promise of some money or the next like big win he might get can i this is the main question that I wanted to ask you actually how do you think this is going to translate to a Netflix audience I don't well so, so I saw Good Time on Netflix I watched it at home and I, I loved it um, I don't think necessarily it was hampered by watching it at home I mean I'm sure it would have been better watching it in a cinema but I think the same applies here like you still wouldn't it still would be great at home you think not quite as tense because the audience that we were in it was quite full and the audience was so reactive and like so were giving the right emotions to the film I think me and you were probably the most <laughs> reactive the loudest because I was like oh my grasping my face like oh my god no I think my, my, my one comment to you was I turned to you and went this is ridiculous but brilliant yeah yeah and that's how I would actually sum the film up I think it's ridiculous but it is brilliant and there is this just air of relentless tension that really has you on the edge of the seat and I didn't I, it didn't let up for me yeah. even in the quieter scenes I still had my back was still up did you feel that as well I think as well someone, a friend of mine who had seen it before I had, had said basically that it's very similar to Good Time it's like a similar story arc it's a similar kind of film basically but actually having watched it there's kind of a little something extra special about it because in the beginning you see this um, the, the uncut gem that the whole film is kind of surrounding um and there's some sort of mystical, magical element to it as well. It's sort of overhanging the whole thing. And there's some sort of belief that this gem will hold some promise of something amazing. And I think that there's some sort of... There's something in Adam Sandler's character that he actually thinks that. Um, he's chasing that dream, even the same way that the, um, the person he sells the gem to actually is also tracing the dream, because he wants to... You could almost say, couldn't you, that his bad luck started when he gave when he the gem it, yeah. to the uh, basketball player. But at the same time, you can tell he's been doing the same shit like for years and years and yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's bits when he's going and taking jewellery off of people and going pawning that yeah. when he when he's supposed to be giving it back to them the next day. Yeah. And just loads of tricks of the trade like that. It's almost like a very... In some ways, it's quite a nice sort of collection of British sitcoms. So you've got Only Fools and Horses mixed with Faulty Towers, but obviously in a much grimmer, sort of darker, more unpredictable environment. Yeah, he's like, he's like the ultimate chancer, and I think you're sort of taken in by it, and it's fun, and it's funny, but at the same time, it's like, like you said, like there's a darker side to it, and it... Yeah, no spoilers, I wouldn't say. No, but, no, yeah, no. But. I mean, there is a moment quite near the end of the film where me and you jumped out of our seats. And um, so, just going back to the Netflix story, like, idea of it being on Netflix on the 31st of Jan, I think that it is a good film to go on to Netflix, but I do think that if you really want to get the full experience of this film, um, 
by not having a pause button next to you because I think that there was a couple of times where I could have easily have paused it and gone I need to take and gone for a walk and then came back to it but obviously when you're in the cinema you can't do that and I I think I got more out of the film that way no I think you're right actually if you could if you if it could have paused it and had a 10 minutes break it would have kind of broken the the tension because it was just like so beautifully orchestrated the 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 kind of rhythm of the tension. Yeah, so. the structure and the narrative were really good. So um, the, the other big story around the film is obviously Adam Sanders' snub from the Oscars and the film not getting any Oscar nominations at all. What do you think about that? I think it's a shame. I think Adam Sandler was great. I think he should have had some recognition. Uh, even a nomination, not necessarily the winner. I don't know if I see him as the Oscar winner. but And, the, and as well, the Zafi brothers coming again with a really strong film. Yeah. A lot of people's arguments are that he pretty much spends the whole film shouting. But then I think that if you were in the situations that he was in, you probably wouldn't. And that was his character. His character was erratic, was um, uncontrollable, probably has got like ADHD, you know. And I think that him shouting all the time was part of... Uh, tension building I think that's an unfair thing to say yeah, I mean it's a loud performance but it's like I was saying you really you root for him because you see why he, you get a sense of his character that he just can't help himself it's just you kind of fall for that kind of ultimate he's the ultimate chancer and you kind of fall for that because it's some sort of something endearing about that that you just will, will chance it even with the risk of everything that he has sure and some of the cinematography is amazing the opening scenes um, in Africa Ethiopia, yeah, Ethiopia, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the deep, dark Ethiopia, uh, where they find the gem, and then the scenes, uh, special effects scenes, when you're looking into the gem, you almost go into, you're looking into the universe almost. Very beautiful, odds, and you know, I really like those scenes. Did you? That's the yeah, idea. That's also nicely linked to the end of the film, where it comes back to that, because basically the myth is that in this opal that is the big gem they're talking about opals have so many colors you can see like the universe universe through them and that's kind of how it ends because they're the, so old yeah yeah really really interesting concept i really liked that so the big question obviously out of 10 it's high i don't know like nine or eight or nine i really i loved it i thought yeah. it was great yeah could, is it rewatchable yeah i'd watch it again yeah. i could watch it again now even i think <laughs> yeah yeah i think i agree with you i could rewatch it now knowing what i know what happens i think i can look at the subtleties a little bit more and not be so swept up by it yeah so scared about what the end game's gonna be yeah so i think i'd go the same i think i'd go i'd split the difference with you and go eight and a half okay. uh because there was some bits where I was just like, oh my God, come on, make a decision that is going to benefit you and, and not hinder you the whole time. But I think eight, out and a half, eight and a half out of ten is is really good for me. Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Keith. And um, I'm sure Hannah will be back very soon watching something odd, although it's my choice next. The re-release of Bambi, please. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, that's nice. How's it going? Good Pesach, Alan. All right, Larry, you're a Jew again. Welcome back. I made a crazy risk, a gamble. It's about to pay off. So I want the Celtics to cover. I want the Celtics halftime. I want Garnett points and rebounds. What do you know? I don't know. I just know. Well, I'll tell you what I know. That's the dumbest fucking bet I ever heard of. I disagree. I disagree, Gary.
This is how I win. KJ, game night. You should be stretching out. What is he, a coach? Nah, he's just a fucking crazy ass Jew. Finally, finally, everyone in the whole world can see the lighthouse. I'm so excited for you guys to get out there and see it. You know that I've been raving about it for a long time because I got to see it at the London Film Festival. I saw the premiere with um, Robert Defoe giving a little bit of talk and Robert Eggers also giving a little bit of a speech at the opening. Oh my goodness, this film is amazing. So the basically the premise is two lighthouse keepers try to maintain their sanity whilst living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. Robert Patterson and William Defoe are powerhouses in this film. It is an incredible feat. I'm really, really honestly surprised that William Defoe has not been nominated for a Best Actor Award for this movie because he is amazing in it. And it is just so odd and so clever and unlike anything I've ever seen that you have to go out and see it. It's just a masterpiece and it's all in black and white. There are some scenes in it that are very, very disturbing. I must warn you now, it is not for the faint hearted. But also, you know, with Robert Eggers' first film, The Witch, there's just an atmosphere that is created that I have never experienced. And this is what I was talking about when I was reviewing The Grudge. The Lighthouse builds this environment that these characters are existing in and it is so hopeless and so you know so remote and there's no one coming and things just escalate and escalate and you can feel the 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 temperature and the emotions rising until they come to a head and the last scene of this film will haunt me until the day I die it is absolutely incredible and I please please urge you to get out and see the lighthouse 
if you can. I know it's got a limited release, but I'm sure that you can find it somewhere or just wait for it to become available on Blu-ray or DVD. The Lighthouse will be one of those cult classics that will be talked about for years and years to come. It will be like The Exorcist and Suspiria and all those kind of movies. So don't miss out on this piece of cinematic history and get out there and see The Lighthouse as soon as possible. And I give it a 10 out of 10, of course. Tell me, what's a timberman want with being a wiki? Just looking to earn a living, just like any man. Starting new. On the run. Keeping secrets, are you? No, sir. Why just spill your beans? Why just spill your beans? forget we also have a competition which is linked to the oscars all you have to do is get in contact with us and tell us who you think is going to win best picture at the oscars 2020 and you have a chance of winning a prize from the bog of eternal stench so if you guess correctly who the best picture winner is we will put all those names into a hat draw one and you will win the prize so you can contact us on instagram facebook and twitter or you can email us to film I love most podcast at yahoo.com. Good luck. So on the small screen this week, I'm going to talk about one of my favourite TV shows of all time, 24, which unfortunately is not making a comeback just yet. But my fingers are crossed that Kiefer Sutherland will agree and come back as Jack Bauer at some point. But very soon is its 20th anniversary. And here at the Films I Love Most podcast, we're going to celebrate this groundbreaking TV show by going through season by season of 24 and telling you what we think. Yes, we are going to be presenting a series of podcasts called 24 Heaven. And each episode will be dedicated to each season and you'll be able to follow those. If you haven't seen 24, don't worry. Um, We're going to be just going through and picking out our favourite bits. We're not going to give too many spoilers away. There might be a couple, but I will warn you of those. But if you want to get, you know, in with the podcast, if you want to be able to know what we're talking about, head track down a copy of 24 and give it a watch because it is an absolutely amazing TV show. And of course, on Sunday nights, Doctor Who is continuing. We've had a few twists and turns recently. We've had another Doctor pop up and also 
John Barrowman has returned as Captain Jack Harkness. So there's a lot going on and Doctor Who is continuing on BBC One between 7 and 8 o'clock on Sunday nights. But as I said, don't forget to join us for our 24 Heaven specials, which will be coming very, very shortly from the Films I Love Most podcast. We have reason to believe that by the end of the day, an attempt will be made on David Palmer's life. An international crisis is about to explode. First African-American with a real shot at the White House. And counter-terrorism expert Jack Bauer will have just 24 hours to stop it. If Palmer gets hit, they'll tear this country apart. Now, every second is crucial. There may be an element inside the agency involved with a hit on Palmer. Every minute counts. You're going to blackmail a district director? He's got information that I need. And every hour... Don't trust anybody. ...the danger grows. Not even your own people. This fall... Find a shooter, Jack. Fox presents Kiefer Sutherland in a groundbreaking new series. An entire season of television... Who's the source? ...devoted to one... You have no idea what you're getting yourself into here. Unforgettable... You've got five seconds. ...day... 24. The clock starts ticking this fall on Fox. Film found for a pound. Doink. Yes. The intros will be with us soon, I'm sure. I'm sure he's still working on them. It's been nearly a year, but I'm sure he's doing it. Let me just take a big sip of tea before we get into this one, because this is going to be emotional. Oh, green tea. Yeah, I'm on the green stuff. So, this week's film I love most, this is a first. So, obviously, people contact me or I contact people and ask them to record and send in the films that they love most. This is the first time that two people have got in touch with the same movie. So, you'll hear both of them together and then we will talk about the film after. So, Steve... And Julie, what film do you love most? The film I love most is the Spielberg classic E.T. It's my favourite childhood movie and it has grown with me all these years. I was always that boy growing up that hoped that I would have an alien friend visit me. It never happened, but I live in hope. That's why I love it so much. There are no better words of comfort to hear than I'll be right here. John Williams' score is the most inspiring, hopeful and comforting piece of music I've ever heard and it's one of those movies that can always bring a tear to my eye. But we don't want any sequels, thank you. The film I love most is E.T. because it brings back such positive memories of an amazing childhood and even to this day it's a classic. I couldn't love it anymore and I can't wait to start watching it over Christmas. Thank you guys. So E.T. is one of those films that is in my DNA. It's pretty much like Star Wars or Jurassic Park. You know, I could quote that film word for word and scene for scene. It's just part of me. And it's a stunning film. And it broke box office records when it was released. And it's Steven Spielberg at his best. You can tell it's a very personal story. You know, and the effects are incredible. And there's so much in that film that is now iconic. You know, the scene on the bike riding across the moon, that became the Amblin symbol for years and years to come. You know, and everybody, you know, as soon as they see that image, they know immediately that it's E.T. So that's just how powerful this film is. And it's the epitome 
of family entertainment. You could sit anyone of any age in front of that film and they will be thoroughly entertained and find it emotional. I mean, it is one of the most emotional films. I'm welling up just thinking about it. It It's stunning. And the last scene when, you know, I mean, it came out in, you know, 1982. So this isn't a spoiler. But the last scene when Elliot says goodbye to E.T., is heartbreaking it really it's probably the only scene in a film where i can sob uncontrollably because it is fantastic and the whole you know the prelude you can i mean it has echoes through history you can look at et i mean i think the strongest one is probably stranger things now stranger things has owes so much to films like the goonies or et um, but more to E.T., I think. And, you know, E.T. is one of those films that you can just pop on at any time and it can just make you feel good. You just go through the gamut of emotions and it's amazing. And, of course, you have little baby Drew Barrymore in there as well, which is so adorable. And it's going to be a classic forever. It holds up so well. You could put a young child who's used to the bang, crash, wallop of the Avenger movies today in front of E.T. and they will still be thoroughly entertained and love it. And it's beautiful. And it's always going to get 10 out of 10 from me because I'm an extraterrestrial also. <laughs> I I can definitely um, see myself in E.T. quite a lot. I even have a waddle. But... Yes, thank you so much, guys. That is the film I love most. In 1975, he directed Jaws. In 1978, he directed Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In 1981, he directed Raiders of the Lost Ark. And now, Steven Spielberg brings us E.T., the Extraterrestrial. We will witness the arrival, the search, the desertion, the fear, the discovery, the friendship. I'm keeping him. The secret, the love. The warning, the signal, the mystery, the danger. The intrusion, the wonderment, the enchantment, the hope, the connection has been made. Universal Pictures presents Steven Spielberg's E.T. The Extraterrestrial. Now it's time for Film Found for a Pound. Yes. 
Thank you so much for all your suggestions. I've really, really enjoyed them. Um, there's a couple that I really enjoyed. Girl with all the gifts was one that I thought was great. In fabric, someone picked up in fabric for 50 pence. I think that's the second time we've had that, which is great because that is such a good film. I might actually talk about that on the next podcast because I love that movie. Uh, what else have we got? Oh, my word. So many, so many. A Punch Drunk Love, which is an Adam Sandler film that was sent in. I nearly did that one this week because I thought that that would be a really good one. But I went searching myself yesterday to see what was on offer for Film Found for a Pound. And I did actually find this film, which is going to be a massive tribute to the amazing Kirk Douglas, who died this week, aged 103 years old. And that is, of course, Spartacus, which is one of the iconic, huge movies of the 1960s. Well, actually, 1960, with a running time of three hours and 17 minutes. You know, that, you know, people are complaining about how long things like the Avengers movies are. Three hours and 17 minutes for Spartacus. And of course, everybody forgets this, but Spartacus was directed by Stanley Kubrick. It was one of his earliest films and he does an amazing job. I went to the Stanley Kubrick exhibition um, in May last year and saw a lot of screen stills and notes that Kubrick made about this film. And it was literally a military operation. And if you think about the cast, I mean, you've got Kirk Douglas, Laurence Olivier, Gene Simmons. You've got Peter Usanoff. Um, Tony Curtis, there's so many, you know, amazing, iconic people in this film. And yes, it is a long film, but you never lose attention. It's beautifully shot. There's so many extras. I mean, how much were these extras getting paid? Because there are so many of them. There's a beautiful photo, and I'm actually going to put it on our Instagram page, that I took at the... Stanley Kubrick exhibition of each of the extras had a number which they held up on a board so that Kubrick could direct them by their number so for example there's a whole field they're all holding up their numbers he would shout out 102 move three spaces to the left and then they'll do it like that but in this photo there are just a sea of numbers I mean, I have no idea how he directed that. It's an incredible, incredible feat. And, you know, it's one of those films that sort of led the way for those huge, great, big, epic films like Cleopatra and Ben-Hur and things. So, you know, Kubrick wasn't actually the original director on this film. The original director was Anthony Mann. But Kubrick was brought on as director by Kirk Douglas, who had a major falling out with Anthony Mann. And according to uh, Peter Ustinov, the um, salt mine sequence was the only footage that was shot by Mann. So there was a little bit of footage still left in the film from Anthony Mann. But Kirk Douglas actually brought Kubrick in. And I think that's amazing. They obviously had a really good, solid relationship. And of course, it's more famous for that scene. I am Spartacus. No, I am Spartacus. I am Spartacus, which has been parodied goodness knows how many times. But it's iconic and it's brilliant. And it's one of those films that will live forever and will be shown on TV probably around Easter time. 
you know, on a Sunday afternoon. So you just literally get your comfies on, get your snacks ready and sit there and prepare for three hours and 17 minutes of Kirk Douglas of Spartacus. And do you know what? I'm fine with that. Sounds like heaven to me. And it is an absolute masterpiece. So I give Spartacus nine out of 10. And what an amazing tribute to an amazing man and an amazing actor, Kirk Douglas, who died this week. I feel like we've only been back together for a few minutes and now we're being ripped apart. But don't worry. Of course, don't worry, because we'll be back very shortly. Well, next week, actually, with our Oscars special. And then we will be returning with our Valentine's Day special on the 14th of February, which we still haven't quite worked out yet whether it's going to be a romantic fest or a fright fest. We're not sure. Let us know. You tell us. Would you like the Valentine's Day special to be lovey-dovey romantic reviews of of love films? Or would you prefer it to be an anti-Valentine Day special where we review the films that could be as far away from a lovey-dovey relationship as possible? Maybe we can have a look at the more toxic relationships in film. That's not a bad idea. Harry, are you listening? Yes. I think that's a good idea. I think that's what we might go with. But thank you very much for joining us here at the Films I Love Most podcast. It's been amazing to hear you all again and see you all again. So thank you for joining us here at the Films I Love Most podcast Don't miss our two specials coming up next week. And if you want to get in touch, you know you can because this podcast is nothing, nothing without you. So you can contact us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Films I Love Most Podcast. You can email us at filmilovemostpodcast at yahoo.com. And you can also listen to all past episodes on iTunes Google Podcasts and Spotify. So if you want to go back and listen from the very beginning so you don't miss any of the (laughs) in-jokes or the ramblings. Oh, I do have to tell you one thing, which is really sad. Um, This is for long-term listeners. Unfortunately, the Lady Abelique poster is no more. It fell down so much because I was getting very stressed last week having no sugar that I've decided to take it down for good. Well, maybe not for good. Maybe I will go put it back up once I get some stronger blue tack. But at the moment, you know, you might not hear that Lady Abelique Russell, but (laughs) um, stay in touch. I will keep you posted. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you join us for our specials next week. And of course, we'll be back in two weeks time for episode 19 of the Films I Love Most podcast. Cheerio. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Films I Love Most podcast. Don't forget, you can get involved on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Just search Films I Love Most podcast or email us at filmilovemostpodcast at yahoo.com. Thank you very much and look forward to seeing you next time here on the Films I Love Most podcast. Podcast.